Well, it's good to see everybody here on a beautiful Lord's Day. Uh, I want you to uh, think a little bit this morning about some, some things. Think with me about some things. First of all, uh, the key verse that I want us to think about this morning is in Hebrews 4.16. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, that's a great promise, isn't it? It says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we'll receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Certainly many of us are going through some difficult times. Some of us are going through uh, diseases, uh, illnesses, uh, the loss of a loved one, various other things. But we know that we can approach. God is always there. He's there all the time. As the song says, waiting patiently in line. He says in Hebrews, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. But you know, before you can approach anything with confidence, I believe that you have to understand the nature of the thing that you're approaching or the person that you're approaching. You also need to understand or have a concept of what that person or that thing can deliver to you if they can indeed meet your need. Certainly we know with the nature of God that we can approach because of he says that he will meet all of our needs. You know in the story Oliver Twist, how many of you have read Dickens classic Oliver Twist? Not near enough, okay? You need to all go and read uh, some of the Dickens classics. When Vern and I first got married, we've been married 45 years, and, and she was not a reader. Now she is a voracious reader. She inhales literature and books. Uh, I've got where I don't read quite as much as I used to, but when we first got married, we were in a Barnes & Noble or something similar to that. And She says, well, I'd like to read like you do, Gary. She said, what should I read? And I said, Great Expectations. That almost put her off reading completely after she started that, if you're familiar with the Dickens classic. But I love uh, Charles Dickens, and, and I love especially Oliver Twist. And if you remember that story, it comes, that great line comes out of the story. It says, um, please, sir, I want some more. Remember that? We, we've even, you know, we, we use that in different times. Please, sir, I want some more. And if you're familiar with the story or you remember the story, what had happened was Oliver, young Oliver, was born in a workhouse in the 1830s in London, England. And his mother, whose name was never recorded by Charles Dickens, it was fiction anyway, but his mother was not significant to that point, and she died shortly after he was born, and he found himself uh, in a uh, badly run young orphan's home and then is transferred to a workhouse for adults later on. And so each day these boys struggled to fulfill their need. They struggled to be able to uh, even meet their very basic need of food and hunger. 
And the uh, workhouse, uh, this orphanage situation and the workhouse situation later on, they doled out this gruel each day as the boys stood in line. So young Oliver was a little bit smaller than some of the boys, and they bullied him into one day asking for more. And you can imagine the trepidation in young Oliver as he approaches the uh, man's name was Mr. Bumble, who was the beetle. Don't ask me what that even means, but he was of the workhouse. And as he was doling out this, and young Oliver comes up, and with not much confidence, but saying, please, sir, may I have some more? Not only did he get more because the line from Mr. Bumble was, more? You want more? Well, what he got was his name was posted on the front of the workhouse and saying, anyone who will take this young man off of our hands will give them five pounds. So when Oliver approached, he really didn't get what he wanted. He really thought he was approaching someone who could meet his needs, but the fact was they didn't have his best interest in mind. And so they were not able to meet the needs. So when he went, he didn't say, I need some more. I know you can give me more. What he did was he came up and said, can I have some more? Certainly not with the confidence that the scripture says we can approach the Savior and he'll meet our needs. What Oliver really needed was freedom from that captivity, freedom from the things that held him down, freedom from keeping him to be the man that he was intended to be. You know, in Scripture, we read of a man who knew what he needed. We read of a man who knew that the person he was asking for his needs to be met would meet those needs. And he was persistent in his asking. Turn in your Bibles to Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark, the 10th chapter. And we're going to look at uh, close to the end of the chapter, verse 46. It's a story most of you are familiar with. It's, it is listed in other parts of the Synoptic Gospels. Mark is the only one who mentions this man by name. Various other accounts mentions others, but Mark's uh, account is quite interesting. And I want to begin by reading uh, verse 46 and 47 of the 10th chapter. It says, Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples... Together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So let's take a look at this. This is a familiar story. A lot of you know the story of blind Bartimaeus. But we want to break this down a little bit. First, let me set the stage. It says here that they came to Jericho. Jesus and his disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem. As they're going to Jerusalem, this was the time of the year. This was shortly before uh, the end of Jesus' ministry. This was shortly before the time of the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. There were large crowds. There were crowds everywhere. There were people that were preparing for the Passover. 
So this was not unusual anyway for Jesus anywhere he went to be surrounded by a large crowd. Uh, Mark even points it out here. He says, together with a large crowd. They were leaving the city. This crowd was, was there for a lot of reasons, but primarily because Jesus was a rock star of his time. Everyone knew who Jesus was. They didn't have social media, but they talked about it. I imagine someone would come home at the end of the day and they say, you know what I saw today? I was in the square and this man, Jesus, healed someone of leprosy. I was in the square today and as I came home, or as I saw this, I want to share what I saw. And I saw Jesus heal a paralytic man. Can you imagine the type of crowds that that would attract? It's amazing. Today, we follow uh, sports uh, stars, athletes. We follow rock stars. We follow the Kardashians, whoever they are. There's all kinds of people that we follow because of their fame. And that was what was happening here. So they were, he was surrounded by a large crowd of people. And as we saw earlier, you would see if you read earlier in, in Mark's account that some of the things that Jesus did besides healing a man of, of leprosy, you remember the story where the people couldn't get in where Jesus was? There was such a crowd and, and four of this man's friends let him down through the roof and Jesus healed him of his infirmity. So crowds were following Jesus because of what he had done. He had even uh, raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Some of the people were just curious to see if they could see that. It's like going to a baseball game and seeing Hank Aaron hit his uh, 66 homer or 166, whatever it is. Those are the kind of things that people want to see. You want to be there. You want to be involved. And that's the reason a lot of people were there. But others like this man were eager to meet Jesus. People knew what Jesus could do. They had heard of Jesus. But not everyone approached Jesus, just like today. It says, as they were leaving, that this man, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Let's see, what do we know about this man? First of all, it says he was blind. Now, blindness was not unusual in that day. There were a lot of diseases in that time. They didn't have the medicine, the ability that we had. Today, if you get cataracts, they can remove those cataracts. In those days, if someone was afflicted by maybe a minor eye disease, it could become permanent. We don't know how long Bartimaeus had been blind. He may have been blind since birth. What we do know is that he was blind. And it said he wasn't just hard of seeing it didn't just say that his eyes were dim. It said he was blind. The world had been closed to him. He had no visual contact with his environment. Second, it says he is the son of Timaeus. Now, we don't know who Timaeus is. Bar Timaeus means, bar means son of Timaeus. And Timaeus in the old Greek, I, what I understand, I read this, I don't know Greek, everything's Greek to me, but 
uh, as you read, uh, Timaeus means uh, foul or unclean. Something unacceptable. So can you imagine? Here's a guy going through life. Not only is he blind, he's known as the son of this despicable man. Just by his name. You know, my name is Gary Dixon. When I was growing up in the small town uh, earlier in my, my youth, you know, I could go downtown and somebody would say, whose son are you? And I'd say, Ray Dixon's son. Oh, we know Ray. Well, Bartimaeus, just by his very name, people said, oh, yeah, we know your father. So he had nothing going for him. The other point here, by saying Bartimaeus, this was this blind man's name, we understand that this is a real event. This is one of these things that we can grab onto. This is one of these things where we don't say, well, Gary, that's just an allegory. No, there was a man who was waiting there, who was outside the gate, and his name was Bartimaeus. And it says that he was sitting by the roadside begging. Because Bartimaeus was blind, he had no way to support himself. Bartimaeus, the only way that he could support himself was by begging, sitting on the side of the road. It was not unusual that day to see a lot of beggars. You go into third world countries today and a lot of people are begging. You go into Reading today, a lot of people are begging for different reasons. You know, sometimes we think we have it bad. We need to think more about people like Bartimaeus. He was blind. He could not see. You know, Bartimaeus may have had dreams. He may have had plans. He may have at some point in his life said, this is what I want to be when I grow up. But because of his blindness, because of the thing that held him captive, he could not achieve those dreams. Possibly these things were holding him back. But it says that one day, it says that one day, when he heard that it was Jesus, in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now understand this, Bartimaeus had been captured by what was holding him down. He had heard of what Jesus could do because people shared that information. He had heard that here was a man that could heal him from his blindness. He identified and knew that this was Jesus, the one that he had heard so much about. So what does he do? He does not timidly wait back. He calls with confidence as he calls out and he says, Jesus, son of David, do what? Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He had obviously heard about Jesus. He had obviously knew what he, were, uh, what he could do. When Jesus entered the area, there were these crowds there because of things that he had done. But can you imagine how Bartimaeus felt at that point? He was blind. He was in need. Above all things, he realized it doesn't always have to be this way, and I don't want to be blind anymore. There's some of us today, people, that are held by our captivity, and we don't realize that we don't have to be that way anymore. You know, Bartimaeus may have talked to the other people around him. He may have talked about meeting Jesus with those around him. Just like the story uh, of young Oliver. He was hungry, and so were his friends. And they talked about, could you imagine what it would be like if we had food every day? 
They had dreams because of what they didn't have, but they knew that there was a possibility of somehow having those dreams fulfilled. He may have spent much of his time uh, fantasizing about this meeting with Jesus. Thinking, you know, can you imagine what it would be if Jesus would reach out and touch me, Bartimaeus may have said. And now here he was. Now he hears all these people coming down the road. People were talking about Jesus. He knew that this was Jesus that was approaching. He saw this opportunity. He recognized it. This opportunity may never come again for this man to meet Jesus. He was desperate in his lostness. He was desperate in his blindness. Unlike Oliver Twist, who wasn't quite sure what was going to happen, Bartimaeus did not uh, hold his bowl up and say, have mercy on me. He said, have mercy on me. With confidence, he called out. He had faith that this one called Jesus. Could heal him. He had faith that this one called Jesus could meet his needs right where he was, regardless of what it was. And the interesting part about that, it says he cries out, he does so with an intensity that maybe surprised all of those around him. He doesn't say, Son of David, have mercy on me. He says, Hey, over here, I need your help. He called out to the one that could help him. So many of us today are afraid to do that. We're afraid to call out to the one who can help him, help us. Look at verse 48. Let's go a little bit further with this. It says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that. It says many rebuked him. Who rebuked him? The followers of Jesus. Who rebuked him? Rebuked is an interesting word. You know, that's one of those words that we use in church. You probably don't hear that word outside church, but we hear it a lot in church. And do we understand what it means? What does it mean to rebuke someone? I looked up in the dictionary this week. I used my my Bible dictionary and I used Webster's. I'll give you Webster's first. Webster says, rebuke means to berate, to castigate, to chew out, to dress down, to flay, harangue, lambast, lecture, rape, scold, score, upbraid, abuse, assail, attack, badmouth, blame, blast, censure, condemn, criticize, crucify, denounce, excoriate, fault, knock, lash, pan, reprehend, slam, belittle, deprecate, disparage, minimize, mock, put down, deride, ridicule, scoff, and scorn. The the Bible dictionary says it a little plainer than that. It says to reprimand, strongly warn, or restrain. That was the point. This man was approaching Jesus. This man was dirty. He was blind. He didn't look good, probably didn't smell good. And those followers of Jesus, hangers-on, were standing there. And what they said is, hush, be quiet. But he didn't stop Bartimaeus dead. It says he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't wait. He recognized who Jesus was. He recognized absolutely what Jesus could do for him, and he wanted him to do it because he knew he could do it, and he had faith because he had already heard what Jesus could do 
from others. He was not put off by those that were too busy following Jesus to lend a hand. He was not put off by their opinion. He knew exactly what God could do. He realized now that it was the time to act and not to wait. See, so many times we wait. We think we can fix it. We, need, we think we can get out of that dilemma. We think we can take care of our problems. But it says to boldly approach with confidence, knowing the Lord will take care of it. Look at verse 49. Verse 49 says, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now let's stop right there. We've got the scene, right? The scene outside of Jericho. Here's a huge crowd of people. Mark says that right at the beginning. There's a large crowd. We don't know how many people there is there. It could have been hundreds. There could have been thousands of people. Everyone following Jesus. People shouting. People talking. People making all kinds of noise. It was one of these great cacophonies. You know, with this din. You know, it's, it's, I mentioned earlier I didn't have one of my hearing aids in. It all sounds like noise to me when I don't have my hearing aids in. But can you imagine what it sounded like at that point? There were, there were people uh, laughing. There were children. There was crying. There were dogs barking. This was a huge noise. And here's this man way over here against the wall. This crowd going down the street. And this man calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says with one, two words, call him. And it doesn't say that. But I guarantee you at that point, it was silent. It was quiet. All focus at that point was on this one man. You know, we've seen that so many other times in the scripture. Jesus knows exactly when we call on him. The woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years, remember? There was another crowd, and as they're going through town, what happens? Jesus turns and says, who touched me? Out of that huge assembly of people, out of all of that noise, Jesus stopped, and everything became quiet, and the focus was on him. And the rest of that verse says, so they called to the blind man. Who called to the blind man? The followers of Jesus, probably maybe his disciples at that point. And they said to him, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. These are the same guys that earlier told him to be quiet. But Jesus said, call him. So that's what they did. They said to call him. When Jesus called, it's interesting, Bartimaeus' reaction. Here's what he had put all his hope on for so long. He called out to the Lord with confidence. The Lord responded and said, call him. And so it says in the next part of that verse, in verse 50, it says, throwing his coat aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now look at this. This man in his intensity and in his excitement seemed that there was an opportunity as Jesus had walked by, there was an opportunity for him to be touched by Jesus that perhaps his 
blindness could be healed. He calls out to the master. The master focuses on him and welcomes him, says, call him, allow him to approach me. And the man didn't hesitate at that point. He didn't hang on to that pew. He didn't have doubts at that point and say, well, maybe I could ask somebody else. Maybe I need to check. You know, maybe I can take care of this myself. Maybe I can work on it real hard and I'll get to a point where all I have to do is wear glasses. Okay, they didn't wear glasses then. But maybe a point where I can see just a little bit. Maybe I know what my problem is. I I have a difficult time with, with this addiction. Maybe if I just wait a little while, I can clean that up and then God will, you know, he can take care of the rest of it. Bartimaeus didn't use those, those, those uh, uh, reasonings, those questions. It says what Bartimaeus did was he threw aside his cloak and he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now don't miss this. That's significant when he threw aside his cloak. Well, you say, well, Gary, he was a beggar. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he was a beggar, but he had something that he held on to. You know, I understand that, that he was identified by that cloak. I understand that, that possibly in that day, uh, some of the reading I've done that said that sometimes beggars wore certain things that people could understand. It, it, he probably was in tatters. People knew that he was a beggar. He identified with that. The friends that he hung around with, the other beggars, they knew who he was because of the cloak that he wore. He had some semblance of fellowship with these other people because of the things that he held on to. We do the same thing. Sometimes we have an assemblage or a fellowship with people because some of those things that we're holding on to. Instead of releasing those things, throwing them aside and running to Jesus. Bartimaeus threw aside his cloak. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question. It's one of the most important questions ever asked in Scripture because this question would change Bartimaeus' life forever just as it changes our life forever. Verse 51 says, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. What? do you want me to do for you? He didn't say, God, I want a new house. God, I want a new car. He didn't say, God, I want you to take care of this problem in my life. God, you want to take care of that? He said, no, Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, I want to see. Open me eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And can you imagine when the first time he opened his eyes, what was the first thing he saw? Jesus. He said, Rabbi, I want to see. The man acknowledged Jesus for who he was and what he could do for him. He called him Rabbi. He called him Teacher. There's no doubting here. 
There's no holding back. There's no holding a bowl up. There's no being afraid of approaching the one who is the healer of all that can supply all of our needs. There should be no holding back for her because Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And all of us should say, I want to see. I want to see. He says, I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to be enslaved by this anymore. I want to be who you want me to be, Father. Continuing, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says, I want to see. Verse 52 says, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. It's not something he had to do. All it was was call out. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. It's not he said, well, Bartimaeus, first what I want you to do is I want you to go and wash yourself. He didn't say, Bartimaeus, first I want you to go and get an eye test. He didn't say, Bartimaeus, I want you to go and get rid of some of these things in your life first. He said, your faith has healed you. It wasn't something Bartimaeus had to do. It was something that God wanted to do for him. And it says, immediately, immediately. It's not that his, his vision started to come back slowly. It's not that that addiction started to move away from him. It wasn't that things that were involved in his life, he could go home and work on those a little bit. Jesus says, it's taken care of right now. Immediately, he received his sight. Immediately. But you notice what it says? Jesus told him to go. And what did Bartimaeus do? He followed. He followed. And I like to think that after that, Bartimaeus followed Jesus. And as they went down the road, he was one of those. But he was praising God for what he had done. He was praising God for saying, you've met my needs. I approached you with confidence. You met my needs. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to get myself cleaned up. You took care of it. he hesitated what if when Jesus called him he didn't immediately go to Jesus what if he held back what if he decided to hold on to that cloak for a little while you know this is something I'm very comfortable with Jesus I tell you what I'll uh, I'll just kind of hang on to this for a little while and and you can kind of work on my my sight what if he did that? What if he held back? What if he listened to those that were rebuking him? What if he listened to others that around around him or he waited to talk to somebody? Well, do you think I should do this? You know, I'm not too sure if I really should approach Jesus like this. Hey, yeah, you know. I'm, I got pretty comfortable with what I'm doing. You know, this whole thing about eternal life, I'm, I'm not too sure. Maybe he would have said, with one of his doubts. Eh, maybe I'll get cleaned up. Maybe I'll work on this problem. Maybe my blindness is just temporary. It's just something I'm kind of experimenting with right now. 
you know, this blindness is something, it really doesn't hurt me. And, and, and if I'm real careful, people won't really know I'm blind. You know, I can, maybe I can uh, stand up and I, I can walk through town and, and people won't really know I'm blind. It's just something, you know, here. Just something I can hold on to. But if he had done any of that, if he had been like us so many times where he said, you know, I can fix this thing in my life, I think. I think I can, I, I don't have to do that thing. I think I can back off from that a little bit. Maybe I can work on my own. I, I can, you know, this salvation thing, I, I think I can do that myself. You know, but without Jesus, without allowing God to work in our lives, without giving all those things over to him, when he says, what is it you want me to do for you, without us coming back and saying, I want to see I want to be released from this. If we don't do that, we're going to go on being blind, just like Bartimaeus was prior to. See, at this point, we identified this man, blind Bartimaeus. Now he's just Bartimaeus. He's not blind. I think if I was him, I would change my name, though, from Bartimaeus. And if he had done that, if he had not approached Jesus at that point, when Jesus called him and says, bring him to me, when Jesus called him out, singled him out, was working in his life and in his heart, if he had not have responded, he would still be blind and miss that opportunity. Jesus will not heal all the blind, only those who want to receive their sight. But he wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to call him. He passes by you. You can stay trapped in those thoughts. You can stay trapped by the things that have enslaved you. You can say, tr stay trapped by the things when you get up in the morning and say, God, why did I do that last night? I'll never do that again. Or you can cry out and say, I want to see You can think about it as long as you want. You can doubt it if you desire. But if you hesitate, you're going to be just like blind Bartimaeus would have been if he had hesitated. You'll never receive your sight. And you realize what we're talking about here, right? We're not just talking about a man who wanted to see. We're talking about a man who God wanted to call him to himself and give him the opportunity for eternal life. The blindness a lot of times that we have is something that's enslaved us, something that we think we can keep hidden away, something that we've got that uh, we've put on a cloak that we're identified with. God says, I want to remove that. If you cry out and ask the Lord to have mercy on me, he will immediately. He'll stop. He'll say yes. He'll focus on you. He'll focus on me. He'll focus on us as in individuals. Your eyes will be open. You'll be able to see for the first time. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to cast aside those things that enslave you. Those things that keep you from what God wants you to be.
You know, there may be someone that's here this morning waiting, not sure if you should take that first step. Maybe you've heard from others that say, well, you know, you really need to take some steps first. I'm here to tell you, Bartimaeus didn't. When Jesus called, he answered. Don't let another minute pass you by. Don't wait and say, I'll take care of it next week. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if I'll get another word out of my mouth before the Lord comes back. We don't know if any of us that live, leave this building, your life will be over. Scripture said, as I said at the beginning in Hebrews 4.16, then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Bartimaeus was in need. Jesus healed him through his mercy and grace. And he wants to do that for each of us. He wants to heal us from the things that enslave us. He wants us to spend an eternity with him. And so when he says to us, what is it you want to do, me to do for you? Our answer should say, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we praise you this morning. I, it's such a privilege for us to be able to come before your throne. Father, you want us to call out. You want us to tell us what it is you want to do for us. Father, we love you. I'm so thankful for the gift of salvation the opportunity for us to come to know you as our personal Lord and Savior and begin our eternity walk with you. Father, just like Bartimaeus, we want to see. I just pray that you'll use this time, Father, use the Holy Spirit to work in hearts and lives as we think on who you are. Father, it's been a privilege to be here this morning with you. We love you and we thank you for this time. All these things we ask. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. I don't know, you may have a personal need this morning. If you do, the front is always open. I'm going to ask some of the deacons to come down and sit close to the front. And that way, if you have something you need to pray with somebody, we want to pray with you. We want to share with you. This isn't about joining the church. It's not about coming forward and raising your hand or anything like that. We just want to minister to you. The Father says... What is it you want me to do for you? Let's sing.